Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreau. And I'm Sarah Blakemore. And today on the Gifted Life, lots to get to. Yes, of course, we're always looking for ways to support donor families. Today, we'll be talking to the host of the Grief Out Loud podcast, which is a great resource for donor families. All right, so you don't want to miss that. All those details and more coming your way right here on the Gifted Life. But before we get to that, you may have been asking yourself, where's Sally? Where's Sally Gentry, right? Exactly. I heard she was climbing Mount Everest. I heard she was pursuing her passion of dog psychiatry. And there was something about a lottery ticket. Not sure. Did I not get a call? Yeah, lots of rumors going around. What's fact? Guys, all right, let's listen. Hi, podcast buddies. This is Sally Gentry. Decided to take my advice and call 504-648-3477 and leave a message for you. As some of you know, I've recently retired from LOPA after 19 years. And during that time, I had the distinct honor of working with hundreds of donor families and recipients. During the last three years, I had the pleasure of being on the Gifted Life podcast, along with Lori and Joey, producers Kirsten and Shalon, and most of all, Troy Yu who helped me sound professional. I'll miss our monthly recordings that's filled with donation, transplantation, and research information for our listeners. In addition, I'll miss the ups and downs and humor and dedication it takes to do the recordings. Thanks to everyone for listening. Hey, guys, continue informing others of this important message in helping make life happen. Oh, And I do plan on dropping by every now and then just to say hello. I mean, that is, unless you lock the door and won't let me in. Thanks again for being fantastic and innovative co-workers. I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Oh, Sally, I'm going to miss her. I'm going to miss her sitting right here, her words of wisdom. Yes, especially I would like to. I would like blah, to. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, don't like to. Just do it. She would just say it matter-of-factly, right? Yeah. Like helping us out. But I'm going to ask you, Joey, to calm down right now. Calm down. I know you love to hear Just that. Just calm down. I'm helping you. <laughs> <laughs> My personal favorite, I know how you feel. Oh, Lord. <laughs> a mental health professional's worst nightmare right there. Yep. Sarah and Joey, I am using your first names because I hear you. I'm yes. using your first names. All you see, things, lessons learned. All things we learned from Sally. I'm going to miss her laugh, her, her bright clothes to brighten up the room. We're just going to miss, and we're going to miss... Ordering pickles. No joke. That she oh. won't eat for lunch pickles when we're virus. recording. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, she's incredible. She's such a service to our community and to everyone at LOPA. So she really was. And she was a character. So she was professional. And then she knew how to have a good time, cut up, and just uh, make the day enjoyable. So we miss you, Sally. We should drive by her home and just make <laughs> sure she's okay, right? Take yeah. her out or something. But maybe one day she'll get tired of being retired and... um she can come back here on The Gifted Life. We'd like that. Um, And I can feel her in my head, like, wrap it up. Stop talking about me, right? (laughs) All right, so we're going to wrap that up, Sally. No, we miss you. And we're going to get on to The Gifted Life podcast. Here on The Gifted Life podcast, we are excited because we are talking to another podcast host, Jana DeCristofero. That is fun to say, Jana. (laughs) 
How you are might be you? The only person that you might be the only person who's ever said that. So thank you. <laughs> well, and thank you. All right. So your podcast is called Grief Out Loud. So Grief Out Loud. If you're looking uh, for new podcast material, but uh, why Grief Out Loud? Tell us what uh, it is that you're trying to do. So we started this podcast back in 2015. And well, I don't know if we really knew why we were starting, but we thought it was a great idea as a way to take the work that we were doing locally in Portland, Oregon. We run grief support groups for kids and teens and young adults and their adult family members and recognizing that the community we're creating for them in person was a phenomenal thing, but it was only for folks who were here in the greater Portland area. And while there's programs like ours all around the country, we also know there's areas of the country and the world that don't have access to that service. We thought, hmm, is there a way for us to have conversations with people who are grieving to share tips from professionals? We can start to extend that community virtually to people who are anywhere around the world who could benefit from hearing other people's stories. So that was the, the initial uh, idea behind the podcast. So now that you guys have gotten into it, obviously now four years uh, so are there certain segments of grief, certain aspects of grief that you guys focus on, or is it pretty much carte blanche uh, throughout the grief spectrum? I mean, I would say it's it's pretty much across the board within the realm of we're focused on grief from uh, the diagnosis or the death of somebody in someone's life. So while lots of different loss and transition points can create grief, whether that's the end of a relationship or um, the loss of a job or struggles with mental health. I mean, there's so many things in, in life that right. can create grief. We're focused primarily on people who have had someone die or someone who's living with an advanced serious illness. That's so amazing. So you do work with patients of chronic illness as well? We do. So the Dougie Center has been around since 1982. But in 2014, we started a brand new program for us. It's called Pathways. And it is a group specifically for families who are dealing with an advanced serious illness. So there's a group for children, teenagers, the person who has the illness and also the primary caregiver, the other adults in the family who is focused on caregiving both for kids and for the person with the illness. So that has been a really important addition to the Dougie Center's menu of services. And you sound like a great resource yourself. So I'm going to ask you about your background and how you ended up where you are today. Sure. So totally by accident, every time I <laughs> tell people how I got where I am, I'm still like, hmm, I'm glad it happened. I'm not really sure what happened. Uh, I went to school to get my master's in social work a thousand years ago. And when I graduated, I just, you know, I was trying to find a job and I was like, something about this just isn't fitting. And so I just made the decision, like, I'm terrible with people, but I'm pretty good with numbers. So I'm going to do research because, you know, I can like sidle up adjacent to uh, supporting folks by doing research. And then after about six months of doing that, I thought, oof, this is, this is not why I went to graduate school. I actually do like people. Uh, so a friend of mine recommended that I look into the Dougie Center as an opportunity for volunteering because she had had someone from the Dougie Center come to her graduate school class. And she's like, I don't know really what they do there. There's kids and there's teddy bears and they're sad. I don't know. You should just check them out. So I was like, well, that doesn't give me much to go on, but I will look into them and ended up taking their volunteer training. And it was the first time for me in a social service setting where I was like, oh, I can take a big exhale here because the way the Dougie Center approaches working with people, approaches working with grief, totally felt like it was in alignment with how I viewed change and how I viewed wanting to be with people. Mm -hmm. um, we really come from that perspective of people in grief 
are going through a totally natural, normal process and they don't need intervention. They don't need fixing. They don't even need advice. They need support, understanding, witnessing people being able to listen to their stories and to help them figure out what they need to do. So I was like, phew, I can work with people because this is an environment that fits for me. That's so, I'm so happy that you said that. You know, I, I heard recently someone say that grief is a natural response to an unnatural scenario, which mm. I totally disagree with because as we know in this world, everyone is going to die at some point. So everyone is also going to grief mm. at some point. So I, I was, a question I had was, um, and working with families who are preparing for death, what would you, what would be a tip for you that you would give out to prepare for grief? Because at some point we'll all experience it. Oh, I think that's the most impossible question to answer. How do we prepare for, you know, it's interesting when you talked about like, it's not necessarily an unnatural situation, but right. I think for so many people, it's an unknown situation or right. unfamiliar situation. Even if they have had someone in their life die previously, every new grief is going to have its own characteristics, its own qualities, many of those right. unknown and unfamiliar. So I think a lot of grief is just trying to recalibrate, to be like, what does the world look like now with this huge vacancy? And, and I don't know if there's any way to prepare for that. You know, I don't know if there's any way to yeah. do something now to ensure that we don't feel grief later. I, I know for my own life, I think about making deposits in the savings account of uh, diminished regret mm. is the way I think about it. Like, mm. what are the things, what are the conversations I can have? Mm -hmm. What are the ways I can connect with people? What are the things I can prioritize in my life so that when that person is no longer physically present, I have hopefully done everything I could to minimize the regret guilt that I might carry into my grief. Right. Those are great things for me to take away. I can I can certainly tell you. And listening when you were describing the Dougie Center at first, I was kind of getting an idea, but it sounds very fascinating to me. What were the most, I guess, surprising and fascinating things that you learned from what your expectations were going into the Dougie Center uh, to where you are now? Well, I just uh, passed my 17-year mark of working at the Dougie Center, so you all are asking me to go way back in the, <laughs> <laughs> the recesses of my memory <laughs> of what I expected. Um, I mean, I, it's hard now to know because it's I'm changed so dramatically by this work, but I imagine going into it, I, I probably carried the stereotype that, that many of us do, and by no fault of our own, just from our socialization and how we've been taught about what grief looks like by movies and books and all sorts of other ways. Um, you know, going back to what my friend had said, like, well, th there's sad kids there. And I imagine I brought that imagery with me and that expectation that grief equals sadness and grief equals so much more than sadness. So mm -hmm. I think that's been the biggest education piece for me. And maybe the biggest surprise that in our groups for kids and teens and adults, there is devastating heartbreak. There is amazing expression of tears and there is raucous laughter mm -hmm. there is celebration and so I think keeping the idea that grief contains so much more than sadness and that oftentimes people might need uh, permission or validation that those other parts are equally valid in grief too mm -hmm. so here you are working you know face to face uh, with uh, with grief in the Dougie Center, and you you clearly saw a gap, saw another need, and saw other outlets and media uh, that were available. So, you know, what was the thinking 
in 2015 when you guys said, okay, we need to really start reaching out to more uh, people about this? Well, you know, we receive a lot of emails and phone calls from around the country of people who are looking for services similar to the Beggy Center. Um, maybe somebody who lives in a state where there isn't a program or they live in one corner of their state and the one program available is 250 miles in the other corner of that state. Um, also hearing from people who were children when someone in their life died and they're now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So they're not at the right, I don't want to say right, like there's a wrong age, but they're not in the demographic that most grief support programs are serving in terms of kids and teens and recognizing that for a lot of them, they find comfort in community and revisiting, hearing from other people who have gone through a similar experience at the same age, even if it has been 30, 40, 50 years later. And I think that the genesis of that idea for me is that we have, we have over 200 volunteer facilitators who work with our groups. And these are community members who facilitate in our groups for kids and teens and adults. And many of them are people who had the experience of a parent or a sibling dying when they were a child. And they didn't have a place like the Dougie Center to go to. So as they come as a volunteer, they're able to work through some of their grief with the other volunteers and then be present for these kids. And I thought, gosh, if, that, if it's so meaningful for these folks, I bet there's people out there who could benefit from hearing mm-hmm. what, what it's like to be grieving. Well, from one podcast to another, we applaud your efforts. That was our goal, too, was to reach more people, to help people. Let's just start these healthy conversations for us. It's about organ tissue eye donation for you. It's about grief. But sometimes I'm just not ready to talk about it. I just I want to listen. Right. And then and feel mm-hmm. OK. So I like that. So I guess how do you measure as your is your podcast working? Do you have a favorite episode or an aha moment uh, when it came to this new tool uh, that you have for folks? Gosh, do I have a favorite episode? That's another impossible question you all are asking. <laughs> they're, all, they're all really uh, valuable. And they're, all of those conversations are just an honor for me as the host to have. Like oftentimes, I'd say maybe 10 to 15% of our interviews are with other staff at the Dougie Center, other professionals kind of keeping in at that more, here's some things you can do to help. Here's some things to look, you know, to be aware of in grief. And so those are really meaningful and powerful. But for me, when I get to sit down with someone who's, either currently working through their experience of grief or is reflecting on their experience of grief. It's it's like a little mini support group with just two people in it. And so just recognizing the the power of that. Um, I've just, I'm in awe of all the folks who have been on the show from that perspective. We did do a series uh, with folks kind of reflecting on how grief has changed for children over the past five decades. So we started with someone who had somebody die when they were eight in the 40s. Then we talked with someone who had a parent die in the 50s, parent die in the 60s, a parent die in the 70s. Uh, so that was a really interesting yeah. uh, wow, set yeah. of interviews to do. My goodness. And then I forgot the second half of your question. I was asking if, if you thought if it was working. Yeah, that's another interesting, like, what does it mean to be working in grief? Um, you know, I obsessively check the downloads because... That's what I do. Just who's <laughs> listening out there, and, and hopefully it's not just my mom listening over and over again. Um, uh, so that's always validating for me when we have like a big spike in, in downloads or knowing that it's reaching people. But what, I think what's most meaningful are the folks who email us uh, from around the country and the world to say, "Thank you so much for your podcast. Um, I tuned in because you know my husband just died, and I've got three kids, and I needed some ideas for Father's Day and." And your episode really made a difference or someone who says, 
you know, I'm in my sixties, but my dad died when I was seven and I never knew other people felt the way I felt till I heard your show. So that to me is a a sign of working, um, but it's just really gratifying. Right. You're helping folks, right? Um, so you said 17 years at the, the Dougie center, um, I like to ask these experts who come on uh, about how social media kind of plays um, into grief. Uh, we see a lot of our um, families using that kind of as an outlet. Um, uh, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's always changing and evolving both generationally and just with the, the climate around social media. Um, I mean, I think it's one of those tools where it can go both ways. There's folks who really appreciate having an uh, opportunity to, one, maybe connect with other people. So maybe they find a Facebook group for um, other people who are dealing with the death of a spouse, or they find a Facebook group for other people in their young adult years who are dealing with the death of a parent. So they can find and build their own connections and community. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a really positive outlet. Um, or people being able to uh, ask friends and family to post memories and photos of the person who died so they can continue to keep that memory present day. Uh, and then there's the other side of it where some folks will say, you know, other people are posting so much about the person, but they weren't close to them the way I was. Mm-hmm. And it can feel, they can feel like there's a bit of an imbalance of other people being so public in their grief. Um, and maybe as though it's like coming into their territory. Uh, or people reaching out to them via social media, maybe on a day when they weren't feeling ready for seeing a memory or seeing a photo too. So I think there's ways to balance that. And, and for kids and teens who are using it, it's like helping them think through, okay, here's some ways that people might respond, which could feel really good and positive. Here's some ways people might respond that doesn't feel quite so good and positive. Right. How are we going to prepare you to respond to that? Or, or you know, how are we going to react if that occurs? Yeah, definitely in 2019, seeing more technology. I was just curious, obviously, to seeing some of that. Uh, but Grief Out Loud, we found it to be a great resource. We wanted to share it with our listeners here on The Gifted Life. So you can find that just on your favorite podcast app out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, anywhere people are getting their podcasts, we should show up. All right, Jana, we appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Keep up the good work. We hope to have you back here on The Gifted Life soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in the world as well. Thank you, ma'am. Now in the podcast, we're going to take a moment for mental health. With Miss Sarah. What are we talking about today? So today we're going to talk about self-care. Self-care right now is a very hot topic in mental health because there's so much research out there that shows that increased care for our mental, emotional, and physical health is a direct correlate to reduce burnout, stress, and anxiety. So what is self-care though? It's taking care of ourselves. I mean, we live in such a crazy world, right? We have so much going on. A mm-hmm. lot of us have kids, pets, jobs. So it's important to really take that time to focus on ourselves. And I know that with that comes a lot of guilt, especially for parents. There's that added part of guilt when you take care of yourself and not your kids. But really what I want to focus on is the fact that if you take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. you can better take care of others. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take this home and listen to it again and again as a mom. (laughs) And you should. And it's true. We hear that from a lot of parents. There's so much guilt when it comes to taking care of ourselves. But the research overwhelmingly shows that when you do, you're going to be a better coworker, mother, friend. Mm -hmm. Calmer. 
Yeah. Well, so, uh, I mean, I, I practice self-care uh, every evening with my two glasses of wine. Okay. That's yes. how I, I de-stress and think, okay, this is good for me. Yes. Is, that, is right? that a part of it? That absolutely is self-care. And I had a professor in grad school who, whenever we would talk about self-care and alcohol, he would say, as long as the couple glasses of wine don't turn into the bottle, yeah. you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's two big glasses. It's the same thing. Right, <laughs> yeah. Two big glasses is a bottle. <laughs> I know. And as it, long it, as it's so not nightly. <laughs> well, and I'm stressing out. I'm looking at this worksheet that uh, we're going to tell you more about who's listening. It says time away from your phones. What are you trying to do? Stress me out? <laughs> I know. And it's true. And when's the last time you kind of just put your phone away in the other room and took a moment to read a book or do a self check in or be with your family? But I'm going to miss something. I'm going to miss something. Exactly. The fear right? of missing out. Yes. Right. FOMO. I know. FOMO. <laughs> All right, so talk about this worksheet. There's so many resources out there to be able to assess your own self-care practices. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to go ahead and provide one on our website and link in the show notes. So go ahead and take that, see how you're doing. And it's such an eye-opener to see you look at your physical, psychological, mental, emotional care. And it really kind of can open your eyes to see what you need to do better for yourself. It's okay to say no. It's Absolutely okay to say no. What? I don't have to go to that activity after work? No. No. <laughs> hmm. That's freeing, right? That's freeing. <laughs> it's true. And you know what? That was actually one of my things for New Year's Eve was saying no to things I don't want to do out of obligation. It's right. okay to, if you're tired, not go to dinner with a friend. Go in next week when you're less exhausted. Letting people down. I got worry. But you're not because that moment and those times that you do spend with them when you're better cared for are going to be much more enriched and meaningful. Play with your children. Love yourself. Give yourself affirmations. I like that. Yeah. It's Eat all healthy. part of it. But she's Exercise. so calm saying it. Like yeah. I'm calm listening. Okay. I'm calm down. <laughs> saying it and doing it are two different <laughs> things, of course. But it's just... It's going to improve your physical health, your mental health. It's going to do everything if you take just a couple minutes every day to do something that's good for you. But it says eat healthy. And sometimes, you know, mm. I think self-care is I want to eat that big stuff, boudin, fried stuff, boudin that we were talking about earlier. And do it. <laughs> it's all balance. It's about that making your... It's about making your soul happy and yourself happy. I'm not getting a very good score right no, now. <laughs> we're going to have to have Say, another talk on this. Sarah. We'll do it again in a negative. month. <laughs> All right. So guys, this worksheet, amazing. So where can we find it again? On our website, thegiftedlife.org or in our show notes. Take day trips or mini vacations. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk to my boss about <laughs> You should. Just coming up. <laughs> you should. Forewarned. <laughs> All right. I like that, Sarah. Thanks for your time. Thank you. At this point on The Gifted Life, we honor a hero as we do in every episode. Today's hero Doug Colston. Yes, we learn about Doug from his wife. He loved God and his family. He was a hard worker and always saw the best in people. He was an amazing husband and best friend. I was so blessed to have met and lived a life with him. He was a father to eight amazing children that he loved with all his heart. Seven of them had started their own lives with one remaining at home. Needless to say, those two had lots of plans. He was also just beginning his journey as a papa to two beautiful babies. I don't have to tell you how excited he was. Those two did not stand a chance, or maybe it was him that didn't. Either way, it was bound to have been a hoot. And now we pause 
and say thank you to Doug for the gift of life. All right, guys, in our question and answer segment, we actually just got a, a call in uh, recently and someone was concerned wanting to remove themselves from the registry. The backstory is that his friend's family received a bill following his friend's donation. And so he wanted to remove himself from the registry because he did not want his family charged for donation. So we were glad that he reached out, right? Right, right. And the confusing part is when the hospital staff, the physicians are still in life-saving mode, of course, all of those items, all the supplies, all the care that goes into that, there's still a bill that the family is going to receive from that area. Now, the donation process itself is completely free. It's a gift. And we say that and and we mean it. It's a gift from one person to another, life-saving gift. So there's no charge to the family for that gift. Now, we've gotten uh, a number of calls throughout my uh, many years of working with closely with Family Services uh, that families ask us, hey, look, it looks as though we were billed for this. And of course, we get involved. We uh, help navigate with the family uh, and the hospital to make sure, again, that they're not charged for any of the donation process uh, charges. All right. That's good to know, right? And then the end result of this story was that we kept someone on the registry with the facts. So we always encourage you to learn the facts and make an educated decision. And we want to hear from you. So please email us your questions to info at thegiftedlife.org. Or you can give us a call at 504-648-3477. We may even play your message on the podcast. That'll do it for episode 111 of The Gifted Life. Special thanks to Jana with the Grief Out Loud podcast. What a great resource. Yeah, and the best place to find us, guys, thegiftedlife.org. That's where we're pushing out this information as we learn. We want to share together. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating. It really helps others find our podcast. And on social media, like our page on Facebook, The Gifted Life Podcast, and follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. And we hope that we inspired you to say yes to organ tissue and eye donation. If so, the process is simple. Registerme.org. That's a one-stop shop. In the meantime, we hope that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. It's a team effort. Until next time. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. <laughs>